Let's pray together as we turn to God's word. Lord, we thank you for your word today. Lord, I pray that we would be good hearers of it. And Lord, not only hearers of it, but also doers of it. Help us to do that by your spirit. In Christ's name, amen. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. I'm going to read starting in verse 22. Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 22, and I'm going to go through until uh, chapter 6, verse 2. Oh, before I do, I want to thank uh, Miranda Good for your leadership today. Uh, Miranda and her husband Christian have been coming to Broadway for about a year or so, and uh, she stepped in to lead us today. So, Miranda, thank you for leading us. Good job. Thank you. Galatians 5, 22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. The first three qualities listed in the fruit of the Spirit are love and joy and peace. Sounds heavenly, right? They all sound very spiritual. They are all qualities that we want to have in our lives, that we want to experience love and joy and peace. Who doesn't want to have love, joy, and peace in their lives? Everybody wants love and joy and peace. But the next one in the list brings us crashing down to earth. Patience. No one really wants patience. What we really want is what we're being patient for, right? Patience means that we're waiting for something. Patience means that we're going through something really hard. As a part of the fruit, it's a reminder to us that life in this world is not always as it should be. Over the years as a pastor, I've asked a lot of people this question, what is God teaching you these days? And the question that I most often get, overwhelmingly so, is patience. I think one of the reasons for that is it's kind of a safe thing to tell your pastor. You know, it doesn't really reveal all that much. But I think it's also truly something that we all struggle with, something that we all need a bit more of, but something that we also don't really want to have. Because if you're exercising patience in your life, then it's very likely that there's some things in your life that are really, really hard. And this morning, we're going to be talking about patience. And I have a lot to say today about patience. And so not only is this sermon about patience, but it's also going to be an exercise in patience. Our culture does not encourage patience. We are very much used to having all of our interests and wants gratified very quickly. 
patience is seen by us usually as a necessary evil, right? You can't always get what you want, so you have to be patient. It's just the way that that life is. We would really rather not be patient. We would really rather get what we want. But since we can't always have what we want right now, we have to be patient. It's a necessary evil for us, right? Patience goes against the ways that we're trained in our culture to be consumers. We are trained very well in our culture to be impatient, Patience-free, two-day shipping, fast food, Netflix, and it is amazing. All of those things are amazing. Who has any time for something like patience? But the Bible tells us that patience is one aspect of the fruit of the Spirit. It's a quality, a virtue, a characteristic that God is developing in us. So what is patience? Often when we think about patience, we think of the ability to calmly wait for something, to wait for something without anxiety. I'm in a traffic jam, and I've got to wait and be patient. I'm a senior in high school, and I've got to wait for graduation. I have to wait and be patient. I, at a restaurant, and my food's taking too long, and so I need to be patient. Calmly waiting. That's one of the ways that we usually think about what it means to be patient. And certainly waiting, calmly waiting, is one aspect of patience. But there's much, much more to patience than simply calmly waiting for something to happen. When the Bible talks about patience, it is usually describing one of two things. First, it's used to talk about our relationships with other people. Some translations will use the word forbearance in order to describe this. When facing another person's sin against you, when facing their mistakes, when facing the ways that they have hurt you, it is the ability to still be in relationship with them. To remain in relationship with them without getting angry or without seeking to retaliate. So patience is used to describe this particular quality in people's lives that enables them to remain in relationships with other people even when those relationships are really hard. The second way that patience is used to uh, use in the scriptures is to talk about persevering through suffering. In particular... Being patient through suffering as a result of persecution. Some sort of persecution was against the church, and so the the Bible encourages them to be patient and to persevere through that. Now, one of the topics that I have enjoyed reading throughout throughout my life um, is to read about the the historical rise of the early church. Um, As believers, we know what caused the church to grow early on, right? It was the Holy Spirit. We know that. We know that it was the power of the Spirit working through the church, and also that was making uh, uh, the people um, in the Roman Empire and uh, uh, other places throughout the world ready to receive the gospel. But historians can't appeal to the Holy Spirit. (laughs) So they have to figure out some account for how all of this happened. What happened in history that made it possible for the church to grow from a small group of men and women following this random itinerant preacher in the middle of nowhere who was crucified on a Roman cross? What made it possible in history for that small group of people to grow into millions over the course of a a few hundred years? 
In less than 300 years, Christianity grew from a group of a few dozen followers to a movement so large that the emperor, Constantine, believed that it would be politically beneficial for him to make Christianity the state religion. And that is a historical fact. Whether you're a follower of Jesus or an atheist historian, historian this is something uh, that you have to deal with. And historians are amazed by the way in which the church grow at this time. In an era without social media, right? In an era without radio or television or any kind of mass media, not even the printing press. And on top of all of that, it grew during a time where in certain places and seasons, there was intense persecution of Christians, where Christians were being thrown to the lions in the Roman Colosseum. It was not socially beneficial to be a Christian, Quite the opposite. In fact, if you were a candidate to be baptized in the name of Jesus, you also became often a candidate for execution. So I've enjoyed reading books by historians who are seeking to explain historically how this has all happened. And a couple years ago, a new book came out on the topic, and I I got it right away. It's called this, The Patient Ferment of the Early Church. The Improbable Rise of Christianity in the Roman Empire. The Patient Ferment of the Early Church. What a great title. And the argument that uh, Alan Kreider, the argument that Dr. Kreider makes is that the early church grew. Are you ready? The early church grew because they were patient. Isn't that odd? Doesn't it seem like that's the opposite of the way that it should be? Doesn't it seem like there must have been some sort of energy and great strategy to get people in the Roman Empire to come to know Jesus? Doesn't it seem like the growth of the church would have to come from uh, this urgent pushing of leaders for men and women to go out and to evangelize the nations? Doesn't it seem like if the church was going to grow from a group of a few thousand people at uh, at the time of Paul to millions of people just less than 300 years later, that it must have been because Christians were actively, purposely, and strategically making it happen? Because somehow they figured out how to get people in important places in leadership. Doesn't it seem like they must have had some sort of great plan if they were able to make this happen? But that's not what history tells us. History tells us that Christianity grew because God's people were patient. They were quietly and faithfully living according to the words and principles that Jesus taught them, and the world took notice. And the church grew, and it grew, and it grew, and it grew. How very strange, and how very much like our very patient God. The patient ferment of the early church. Do you know what a ferment is? Do you know what fermentation is? Have you ever had one of those sourdough bread starters? You put those ingredients into a jar and it just sits there and it looks like absolutely nothing is happening. Every once in a while, a bubble may appear at the surface, but that ferment is alive. 
There are things happening at the microscopic level that we can't see, but it is alive and it is growing. The patient ferment of the early church. The early church lived faithfully to the teachings of Jesus, and their way of life looked so incredibly odd and different to the people around them. And that quiet faithfulness was like a little bit of yeast in a batch of dough. Where have we heard that before? Jesus, right? Like a little bit of yeast that's hidden in a batch of dough, those Christians worked themselves throughout the Roman Empire, and their presence was odd, and it was strange, and it was attractive. According to Kreider, it was the patient ferment of the early church that enabled the church to grow like it did. And we see in history that Christian pastors and teachers during this time very intentionally taught followers of Jesus the virtue of patience. In the first couple hundred years, there were three, at least three, major treatises written by influential leaders, bishops of the church, that were entirely written on the virtue of patience, teaching people how to be patient. And this was in direct contrast to Greek and Latin philosophers who thought that patience was only for slaves and women. It's only for people who don't have any choice in the matter. And these Christian philosophers and teachers and leaders said that patience was the key to Christian life. So just let me give you an example. Uh, There was a a Roman philosopher named Cicero. Have you heard of Cicero before? Uh, Lived during the time of Julius Caesar. And this is how he described a good man. A good man is one who would help all those he could and would harm no one unless provoked by mistreatment. Sounds pretty wise, right? A good man is one who would help all those he could and would harm no one unless provoked by mistreatment. Well, there was a Christian teacher named Lactantius who came uh, in the two and three hundreds. And listen to what he has to say in response to Cicero. He says this. What need is there for Cicero to add unless provoked by mistreatment? By doing so, he pins a vice onto a good man like an awful tale and denies him his patience, which is the greatest of all virtues. Lactantius says that if we say to people, do good to everyone, except if they try to harm you, and then you can harm them. He's saying that you are stealing the opportunity to express a uniquely Christian virtue called patience. Anyone can be good to anyone in general, but there's something peculiar about the calling of Christians to love their enemies and to do good to those who harm them. That is and was peculiar to Christians. Justin Martyr, uh, another teacher in the second century, he says this, Christians exhibit a strange patience. Origen said this, patience is a quality that is uniquely ours. Another teacher said this, rejoice when men reproach you. Let wrongdoers grow weary from your patience. Love that. 
in the context of very severe persecution in a society where Christians were at best looked as looked at as odd and strange and at worst were dangerous and worthy of execution the early church taught and practiced patience and because of that patience that strange patience that they exhibited to the world people were attracted to it and over the course of the next hundreds of years millions of people came to follow Jesus that patience could only come from a deep trust in a patient God. Followers of Jesus know that God is patient because they have experienced God's own patience in their own lives, right? They know that God has been patient with them, and so they are willing then to be patient with others, They know that God is patient also with his mission. God is shaping us to be like him. And when we talk about the fruit of the spirit, we're talking about him forming his kind of character in us. And so he is shaping us to be patient people as he is patient. And throughout the Old Testament, we see how patient God is with Israel, right? Psalm 103, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Micah 7 says this, Who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all of our iniquities into the depths of the sea. Throughout the history of Israel, they experience God's patience with him and then with them. And then Jesus, as the image of the invisible God, he reflected God's patience perfectly, didn't he? Think about at the very beginning of his ministry in those three temptations. He overcame those temptations through patience. Jesus, you're hungry. You've been fasting for 40 days. Here, take this rock and turn it into stone. Jesus said, no, I will be patient. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Satan took him to the pinnacle of the temple and said, Jesus, be impressive. Impress everyone and jump off of this pinnacle and God will catch you. And Jesus says, no, that's not God's way for me. I will be patient and follow my father's lead. And he takes him to the highest mountain and uh, Satan says, look, I will give you everything here. Everything will be under your control and under your power. Jesus says, no, I will be patient. I will take my kingdom when the father gives it to me. Think about Jesus's patience with Peter. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, Jesus tells his disciples that I'm going to crucify and die, and you all are all going to flee and run away. And Peter says, no, Jesus, I will die with you. And Jesus says, Peter, you will deny me tonight three times. What does Peter say? I will die. And then we know that Peter that night denied Jesus three times. It's no wonder then at the end of Peter's life in 2 Peter chapter 3, towards the very end of his life, this is what he says about the Lord. He says, the patience of the Lord is salvation. 
Jesus' suffering, what he endured during his Passion Week, is the greatest expression of patience that the world has ever seen. Here is the Lord of the universe, the one who could have called a legion of angels to come and rescue him from the hands of angry and ignorant people. And as he was spit on and beaten and abused and hung on the cross, he asks his father to forgive them because they don't know what they are doing. Our God is patient. He is patient with us. He is slow to anger. He's quick to forgive. He bears with us. And he is patient with his mission. He is not in a hurry. He is not anxious. He is not wringing his hands because of the direction of our culture and because of the person who's president. He is patient with his mission. It is in the character of God to be patient, and God is making us like himself. God is patient. And sometimes that's frustrating right? We've all had those experiences in our life where with God, when we are wondering, God, why won't you act here? Why won't you just do something and fix this? I'm going through this experience. I'm going through this struggle. My loved one is suffering. Why don't you just do something here? And in these times of hurt and struggle, we need to be patient with God. In your bulletin, I've, I've put a quote around with, because I want to use with here in two different ways. We need to be patient with God. That is to allow God to do things in his time and in his way, and to allow him to do what he wants to do in our situation in his good time. We need to be patient with God to do that work. He is not in a hurry, and that is often frustrating, but his slow work is always for our good. Our trials, our struggles are developing good things in us. That idea is expressed over and over and over again in the scriptures. God has something in mind beyond our struggles. He sees past them, sees past the present moment, and he has things for us that we cannot see in the present moment. So we need to be patient with God to allow God to do his thing in his time and in his way. The second way I'm using the word with is is the idea of being with, being together with God. Be patient with God, knowing he is there with you by your side. Be together with him. Turn to him in prayer, believing that he is is at work in your struggles. If you are frustrated and angry with him because of whatever it is you are going through, tell him about it. Be patient with him. Don't be angry at God behind his back. He knows about it anyway. Tell him about it. The Psalms give us this great model of being patient with God. It's filled, absolutely filled with people uh, crying out out of their experience that they are absolutely at the end of their rope, crying out to God, why God, why? But in the end, learning to wait on God, to be patient with God by being patient with God. We also need to be patient with others. The passage on the fruit of the Spirit in the book of Galatians that we're looking at comes in the context of Paul urging the people of Galatia to get along with one another. Look at verses 13 through 15. You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed 
by each other. And Paul continues on then by talking about walking by the Spirit and then telling us about what the fruit of the Spirit is in our lives. The fruit of the Spirit is developed in us, not only so that we'll be good individual people, although that is true. It's being developed in us so that we will be good neighbors. It's being developed in us so that we will be good brothers and sisters in Christ for our brothers and sisters in Christ. The fruit of the Spirit is being developed in us so that the church will be better together. And so we need to be patient with others. And again, I'm using the word with in a couple of different ways here. There are people in our lives who we struggle with, who we're at odds with. Your personality and her personality, they just don't go together. You need to be patient with them to learn to forbear with them. Sometimes this forbearance means to simply overlook the offense. And sometimes it means that we need to confront the person who has offended us. But in the church, it never means that we can write that person off. In the church, we must be patient with one another, forbearing with one another so that we can be with one another. And it also means that we need to be with each other. Like we're with God, being with God, we also need to be with one another. Our patience with each other, the way that we live together, the way that we learn to forgive one another is a demonstration of the gospel to the world. And when we fail to live in our relationships with one another in that way, we are missing an opportunity to demonstrate what the gospel is all about to the world. I want to finish by talking about patience and mission. Doesn't it seem like patience and mission are opposites? Mission requires movement. It requires action. And patience seems like a word that would go against mission, but it doesn't. Because patience is not the same thing as inaction. Patience is, is not the same thing as sitting on our hands. Patience is wisdom under control. Patience is acting when it is the right time to act. Patience is acting when God says to act and sitting still when God says to sit still. Patience is being sure that we are faithful to God first and that we don't allow fear of our future to cause us to compromise our convictions in ways that will ruin our witness to a watching world. Patience is active trust that God is in control. It is acting out of that sure and certain belief that we don't need to grab control of our lives or to try to manipulate other people to control them in order to get God's mission accomplished. In fact, the very moment that we try to do that, the very moment that we try to manipulate or control the situation or people is the moment where we step out of what God wants for us to be as the church. Our way as the church, is patient, patient trust working itself out through faithful action. The early church 300 years ago did not grow because they seized control. The church didn't grow because they created entertainment for people. The Roman Colosseum and the Roman circuses offered people plenty of places to be entertained. The early church didn't grow because they maneuvered and positioned their people into political power. The people of the Roman Empire had suffered enough from people in Rome trying to manipulate other people for control. Rather, the church offered something very different to the world. They taught and they lived patience. 
while Rome had the Colosseum and the circuses and the amphitheater, while they entertained people until they were numb from entertainment, the church did the opposite. They taught people contentment and prayer and quiet faithfulness. While Rome continued to gain more and more political authority and build the greatest military that the world had ever seen, the church cultivated quiet, patient martyrs. The early church grew because they were patient. They were patient with God. They endured suffering. They lived a strange patience that trusted God in trials. They were patient with God. They trusted and they believed in his plan and purpose. And they lived their lives with him, even when it seemed like their suffering would not end. They trusted in a patient God. And they were patient with people. There's some incredible eyewitnesses accounts of the ways that Christians cared for their neighbors in the cities of the Roman Empire in those first 300 years. Here's one eyewitness account of how Christians responded to a plague in the city of Antioch. This eyewitness says this, at first onset of the plague, the pagans pushed their sufferers away and fled from their dearest throwing them into the roads before they were dead and treated unburied corpses as dirt, hoping thereby to avert the spread and contagion of the fatal disease. Otherwise, the pagans in the city, they took off and they ran. They didn't want to catch the disease themselves. Listen to how the Christians responded in the city. Our Christian brothers, however, showed unbounded love and loyalty never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministered to them in Christ. And with the sick, they departed this life serenely happy. For they were infected by others with the disease, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepted their pains. Many in nursing and curing others transferred their death to themselves and died in their place. That is patience. In the city of Rome, there was a practice of taking unwanted children out into the desert and just leaving them there to die. There are accounts of Christians following those families out to the desert and taking those children and raising them in their own homes. That is patience. They patiently loved their enemies. They said that a good person is not someone who simply does good to everyone who does good to them, but a good person is someone who does good to everyone, even those who are trying to harm them. They sought to follow Jesus' teaching to not only love their friends, but to also love their enemies. And the watching world looked at the early Christians living with this kind of patience, and they said, who lives like this? Who does this? What kind of people must this be? What kind of God must this people worship? It was the patient ferment of the early church. Friends, our world desperately needs the patient ferment of the present church. Desperately needs the patient ferment of the present church. The world does not need more entertainment. The world does not need one more group of people grasping for whatever political authority that they can hold on to. 
The world needs the church to be the church, to be faithful to our calling to do its work, to quietly and faithfully follow the teachings of Jesus, to be a patient ferment, to be yeast working itself through a batch of dough. And sometimes patience doesn't look like very much. Sometimes when we are patient, it looks like we are doing nothing. But there are bubbles deep down that are activating and moving and fermenting, making us into a particular kind of people to be ready to act at the right time, in the right place, and in the right way. Because patience is not inaction. Patience is wisdom under control. It is doing the right things at the right time in the right way. Patience is not about being slow. It's about going at the right time. It's about moving at the right pace. It's about doing things the right time and in the right way. Patience is not about sitting on our hands. It is an act of trust in a patient God. It is the act of trusting that we worship a God who is patient with us and who is never, ever in a hurry and who will accomplish his mission in us and in the world in his good and right time as we are faithful to him. God accomplished his mission. He expressed his eternal patience by his endurance of suffering on the cross. Jesus endured the ridicule, the beatings, the insults, the rejection of his closest friends, and finally death on the cross. In Jesus on the cross, God shows that he accomplishes his mission through patience. Do you believe that? I don't. I think it's up to me. God accomplished his mission through patience. It's an amazing thing. Through Jesus' patience, being willing to suffer and to endure. And he wants to continue to work in us in the same way. That through our patience with God, with others, with society around us, that through our gentle patience, that God would make us a patient ferment that is alive and is like a yeast working through a batch of dough and that God will use to accomplish his mission. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, we admit that this thing called patience is not something that we want, but you want to make it real in us. So Lord, I pray that by your spirit that you would make us patient people patient with you, patient with others, patient with our neighbors. Lord, we ask that you would cultivate this quality of patience in us and that through that, that you would accomplish your purpose and mission in the world. Amen.